This morning, Lord, through the power of your spirit, would you help us to see you? Um, Lord God, especially for those that haven't been here for the rest of the messages on the revelation, I pray that you would help them to have faith, that it actually does reveal you. Everything is the revelation of you, Lord Jesus. So, Father, I'm asking you to help us preach. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute, the great whore, the great harlot, the great porne in Greek, who is seated on many waters with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, porneu, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality, porneia, the dwellers on earth have become drunk. We read that last week, and then we read the middle of the chapter about the beast, and then we read uh, the last verse, verse 18. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Now, before we go any further, we probably ought to ask the question, what's God's problem with harlots and whores and pornays? You know, some folks think it's sexuality, but God's very first commandment is to have sex. Be fruitful and multiply. That's hard. If you didn't know about that, it's just hard to do. Anyway, porneia is the noun translated sexual immorality here or prostitution. Porneiu is the verb translated commit immorality or to prostitute. They all come from the verb verb pernami, which means to, to, to sell, and in particular, sell slaves, that, that is human souls. A human soul is a temple of dust that contains the breath or spirit of God. We started speaking about all this um, last fall in November when we spoke about the letter to Thyatira. We said God's problem with whoredom must be that it attempts to buy and sell love, which is life and everything good. Harlotry, then, is an attempt to pay for the intimate communion called love, as when a man pays to have sex with a woman. Or it is an attempt to pay with the intimate communion called love, as when a woman sells herself to to a man. Either way, it turns love into a commodity. God is love. In Scripture, any sexual intercourse outside the covenant of marriage can be referred to as perneu, for you don't have to use money to buy and sell yourself. Only in marriage is sex entirely free. Well, anyway, I think that's the the big problem that Jesus has with, with prostitutes, which raises another question. Why does Jesus seem to be so attracted to prostitutes, harlots, whores, loose women, Particularly in in the Gospel of of John. John 8, a mob of Pharisees, Bible teachers, they throw a woman at Jesus' feet and say she's been caught in the act 
of adultery. She's stripped of all her dignity. She's stripped of all her pride. She's stripped of her fig leaves and probably all her clothes. And they say, the law requires that we take her life. And Jesus says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And all those Pharisees and Bible teachers, they dropped their stones. Over and over, Jesus exposed the pastors as the very worst of harlots. Then Jesus says to the woman, I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. I don't condemn you, go and sin no more. Being God and all, you might wonder, hey, why didn't uh, Jesus stop her before she was <laughs> exposed in such a humiliating way? But he didn't. In John 4, Jesus talks to a Samaritan woman at a well, and he basically exposes her. Sweetheart, uh, you're on your sixth man. You know the story. And uh, the sixth isn't even your husband. Sixth man. Jesus is the seventh man. Jesus is her husband. Perhaps she must feel the pain of sin to recognize grace, who is her husband. In John 2, Jesus turns six sticks, stone jars of water, into wine at a wedding feast. He's the bridegroom, and on the seventh day, he makes wine, and he gives it to his bride. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus even appears, depending on how you translate a particular Greek word, it appears he even hosts to dinner parties, dinner parties for prostitutes, as if they, they were his bride. Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary of Magdalene. Some have suggested that she was a prostitute that anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and wiped them with her tears. Some have also suggested that she was secretly married to Jesus, a harlot who becomes his bride. I highly doubt that. And yet, in another way, I believe exactly that. Jesus did marry a harlot and turn her into a bride. Well, anyway, who is this great harlot in the Revelation? I suspect that she's one of the principles and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness that Paul talks about in his letter to Ephesus. Recently, Susan and I were praying for an old friend who had been haunted by a vision of a, of a goddess of death. We took authority and we said, what right do you have to be here? And then my wife heard, there is something of me in everyone. And Jesus revealed that we were dealing with the harlot. And so we prayed, confessing anything and everything in each of us that we thought had anything to do with porneu. I confess some stuff uh, about lust, which is pretty easy for me to do, and then I, I prayed this. But more than that, Jesus, I think I always have to pay. Once I asked Susan to pray with me and confess my confusion, shame, and remorse about a particularly old racy movie that I had watched, and as I prayed, Susan said this to me. She said, Peter, I hear Jesus, and he's like weeping. He's so incredibly sad, and he says to you, Peter, 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 why do you feel like you always have to pay? I'm still not sure how exactly Jesus feels about that movie, but the fact that I felt like I had to pay for mercy just seemed to break his heart. And isn't that the worst type of porneia? Trying to pay for the mercy, the grace, and the love of God that, that is God? 
Well, as, as we prayed for our friend last week and confessed our pornea, Susan saw this beautiful woman hovering over the face of the earth. Last time we noted that if the beast is the antichrist, the imitation Christ, then the harlot is the anti-bride of Christ, the imitation bride of Christ, the, the false Eve, not the mother of the living, but the mother of earth's abominations, human pride. Well, as we confessed our porneia, the, the woman cursed at us, shriveled into this little old woman and lost her power. So the great harlot must be a principality in power, a world ruler of this present darkness, and yet she derives her power from us. She's that, and she's a city. A city is an economy. An economy is a way of relating. She's an economy of porneia that reminds us of the Tower of Babel. Remember? She's Babylon, the city Babylon, and as we mentioned last time, she's clearly Rome. She's an evil demonic entity, and yet she's a city, and cities are economies. A city is an economy of people, people relating to each other, people that God made. She's Babylon, Rome, and Jerusalem. John has already referred to Jerusalem as the great city where our Lord was crucified. Jerusalem contains the temple and is built on the spot where supposedly God first made Adam, the foundation stone. But Jerusalem, Jerusalem's a harlot. She's constructed of God's chosen people, and yet over and over and over again in the Old Testament, the prophets refer to her as, as, as the greatest of harlots, and, and so the entire nation of Israel has become a harlot. Hosea, the prophet, is even commanded to marry a harlot because God says, I'm married to a harlot. Through Hosea, God says this, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God, for the spirit of whoredom is within them. Hosea 5.4. And then 6.6, 6, God says, I desire hesed. That's steadfast love, covenant love, unconditional love. And then he says this, but at Adam, in the RSV, or like Adam, as is translated in the ESV, they transgressed the covenant and dealt faithlessly with me. God talks as if we've all been harlots like ever since Adam. Or we all became harlots like Adam. I'd remind you that Adam means humanity. Every newborn is an Adam. And according to scripture, Deuteronomy 1, none of them have the knowledge of good and evil. In the beginning, love, who is God, made Adam. And then God said, it's not good that the Adam is alone. And yet the Adam was in the very presence of love, <laughs> who is God. Adam doesn't know the good, who is God, and that's evil to be alone. God shows Adam all the animals, male and, and female. But Adam can't find his helper. God says, I'll make a helper, an azer, fit for Adam. 
God divides the Adam in two, making male and female, but she is just more of he and he is just more of she and they don't turn out to be very good helpers one for the other. Adam means humanity and humanity is not good at being its own helper. It's humanity. Adam, before he became male and female, or it became, the he, she became male. It's Adam before that that is alone. Humanity is alone and that's not good. It turns out that male and female is a sacramental representation of God and, and us. In fact, all the rest of the Old Testament, in all the rest of the Old Testament, that word azer, translated helper, never refers to a human husband or a human wife. It always refers to God. Over and over, David, the man after God's own heart, refers to the Lord, Yahweh, as his helper. Through Hosea 13.9, God says this, I will destroy you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper, your azer. The female, then, is to be a temple for the male. And the male is to be a temple for the female. Like uh, we are to be a temple for God and God is a temple for us, the new Jerusalem. In the Gospel of John at the start, right after Jesus turns water to wine at the wedding banquet, he cleanses the temple in Jerusalem. We find that the temple is his, his body, that's what he says, and yet his temple is also us, and, and do you remember what he cleanses the temple of? Yeah. Whores. <laughs> Merchants! <laughs> Who do what? Buy and sell the love, somehow, that, 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 it, that is God. He cleanses his temple of harlotry, but, but Jerusalem loves her harlotry, and so inspired by the beast from the land and the beast from the sea, Jerusalem chants, crucify, 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 and then nails her helper to a tree in the middle of a garden just outside her city walls. And that was nothing new. It was the revelation of what had been happening since the beginning. As Jesus died, he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In other words, they don't know the good. They don't know God. And they don't know the evil. They don't know I am their helper. I am salvation. Yahashua. Now pay very close attention, okay? Because I don't think we've got this. God made Adam, and Adam could not find his and her helper. So God made the Adam male and female to teach them about their helper. What is a helper? What a helper does. And so they would recognize uh, their helper, the one who is their helper. And then, and then God began to fashion the helper fit for humanity. As the prophets teach, humanity is the bride of our Lord, who is our helper, but our helper was not yet fit for humanity. Our helper is God. In flesh, body broken, blood shed. In the middle of the garden, God had planted a tree, Genesis 2-7. It's called the tree of life. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I am 
the life. And so the tree of life must have looked something like this. Recognize this picture? Love this old painting. Must have looked something like this. And in the middle of the garden, God planted another tree. Or maybe it was in this, this, somehow the same tree because it's in the same place, the middle of the garden, Genesis 2-7, and it's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus says, no one is good but one, God. No one but God. In John 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd. Jesus is the good, that is, God in flesh. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil must have looked something like this. God said, you shall not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you eat of it, Dying, you will die. That was the sixth day of creation. For humanity was not yet perfected in the image of God. For humanity did not know the good, her helper. Jesus was crucified on the sixth day of the week, sixth day of creation, at the sixth hour. It was on the sixth day that a snake lied to the woman. In Revelation 12, you remember that the dragon, who is the snake, battles the woman, who is us, with a river of lies. Then he calls up the beast to help him lie. Who is that? That's the imitation Christ. And riding the beast is the harlot. Who is that? Well, that's like the imitation bride. Well, anyway, the snake says to the woman, dying you will not die, but you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 5, 6, the woman or three, six. The woman saw, she saw that the tree was good for food and a delight to the eyes. In other words, she saw the good, but she did not know the good. And so she took the good as if it were food, as if it were a commodity. She took the good as if he were a food, a piece of food. Well, that's rather beastly, isn't it? What if everything good really is God? Or somehow laced with God? The good. Is your house good? Mine is. Is your car good? Is your wife good? Do you own them? And so consume them? You consume the goods. Maybe we've all been far more beastly than we know. She saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, and to be desired to make one wise. That is knowledgeable of good and evil. In other words, she took the good to make herself good. She wanted to make herself good in order to make herself like God, or maybe even God. She, she used the good for her own ends. Why? To exalt herself. Well, that's rather, that's rather whorish. God kicked them out of the garden and barred their way to the tree with a flaming sword and two cherubim. He guarded the way so they would not take also. 
or take again. The word can be translated either way, uh, so that they would not take again of, of, of the tree. So they would not uh, take again of the tree of life and live forever so they could no longer feed on him as beasts and harlots. Because that's not good for anyone. So what was on the tree? The life. There's only one life. The life was on the tree. Do you have a life? Is it your life? Where did you get that life? Do you make your life? Or did you take uh, the life? What was on the tree? The good. Do you own goods? Is that because you paid for the goods? God alone is good. Did you pay for God? With what could you pay for God? Your life? What was on the tree? The life and the good in flesh. Who is God? God is love, love, love was on the tree. Everybody wants love. We sell all of our consumer goods and advertise them as, as love. We all want to make love, but you cannot make love. Love makes you. What was on the tree? Your helper. No wonder humanity fears the judgment of God. With our every choice, we crucify the good in flesh and take the life of love. We crucify our helper like the most ravenous of beasts and the most depraved of harlots. I know that this is hard to hear, but maybe we are already dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of our flesh and even our righteous deeds are as filthy minstrel rags in the words of the prophet Isaiah. Well, in chapter 18 of the Revelation, John witnesses the judgment of God upon the great harlot. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice. What we now read is written as a song. There's several songs within the text. I think I tried to keep them in italics in the slides. But, but he cries out, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons. In my experience... Demons inhabit that part of a person that believes they must, they must justify themselves before God. That is, that part of a person that believes the mercy of God can be bought by us. That is, that part of a person that believes we must pay for love. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations, all peoples, have drunk the wine of the passion of her pornea, and the kings of the earth have committed porneu with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Notice that the voice did not say, some of my people, just my people. Feel free to picture these things, by the way. So if you've ever wondered at the passionate fury of your Lord, just look at this picture and listen to the word of God. Come out of her, my people. Lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, her wounds. 
And that's fascinating because maybe these wounds are like the wounds we read about in the last chapter, couple chapters, wounds that come from the temple in heaven, which is the body of Christ and even bride of Christ. And now this is utterly ironic, but perhaps the wounds of sin can somehow become the glory of grace as if some harlots can be transformed into the bride. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. What a terrifying statement. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, God has stipulated a limit to vengeance. Remember, over and over, he says this, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and no more. But here the Lord says, repay her double. Is that two eyes for one eye? Two teeth for one tooth? Two lives for one life? How could you ever do that? You kill her twice? Pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Prepare a double portion for her in the cup she prepared. The vengeance comes uh, in a cup. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measurement of torment. Basinismos. In chapter 12, we read that the woman was in, in, in torment. Remember, Basinizo, to deliver like a baby. A like measure of torment and mourning, since in her she says, since in her heart she says, she says this in her heart, I sit as a queen, I am no widow. She refuses to acknowledge that her helper is dead or that she killed him i am no widow and mourning i shall never see for this reason for this reason because she glorifies herself and because she refuses to mourn for this reason her wounds will come in a single day a single day death and mourning and famine she will be burned up with fire for mighty is the lord god who has judged her and the kings of the earth who committed porneu and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. That's interesting. It appears that they still have the cargo the problem is that they cannot buy or sell the goods. You cannot buy or sell goods if no one owns any goods. You know, if you call Jesus Lord, you are acknowledging that you don't own anything, but you are a steward of God's things. God owns, owns everything, and, and God owns, owns you. He's coming like a thief in the night, but he's not a thief. Why not? We can't take anything that he does not own. He can't steal anything for he already owns everything. If you're, if you're a Christian, you freely confess that, that you don't own anything. And if you're not a Christian, here's some news. You've stolen everything. <laughs> and you cannot pay for anything. With what uh, would you pay? Your life? You did not create your life. Or maybe your works. Ooh, how did you pay for your works? With your life. Everything belongs to God. But check this out. Everything that these merchants mourn will be found in the New Jerusalem. And everyone 
will enjoy them, but no one will buy or sell them. You can only give and receive them, for everyone shares everything in common with glad and generous hearts. Everything, everything is free. They mourn since no one buys their cargo. Verse 12, cargo of of gold. Streets are gold in the New Jerusalem. No one's interested in buying their gold in the New Jerusalem. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth of all kinds, of, of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, TVs, radios, I suppose, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, and sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves. You know, Jesus freely chose to become a slave, slave of all. When all choose to be slaves, everyone will be truly free. Horses and chariots and slaves, that is human souls. A soul is a temple of dust that contains the breath of Yahweh, our helper. Jesus is the helper, and his spirit is the helper, and he makes us his home. And so, of course, he said, whatever you do to the least of these my brothers, you do to me. He's in them. And this is the biggest shocker. He's, he's in you. And so you are worth the life of God, the blood of Jesus, just because you were born, just because God breathed his breath into you. I have a friend who was horrifically abused by her father and sold as a harlot. She was a harlot. Once in prayer, Jesus appeared to her and, and to my wife as well while we were praying. And Susan said, look, 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 Jesus has something for you. And she said, it's just a piece of paper. And I said, read it, just read it. And then I heard her gasp in, in wonder. And she said this, it's a birth certificate. It's glowing with light, and there's no date. It's eternal. In these visions, John used to hold a, or Jesus used to hold up a mirror in front of her face. She'd look in the mirror, and she'd see that she wasn't a harlot. But in Jesus' eyes, which are the true eyes, she is the bride. She'd be dressed in, in white. Verse, verse 14. To the harlot, the voice says, the fruit for which your soul longed. The harlot longed to consume the fruit of the tree. She knew the good the way you know an object, a thing, or a commodity. The bride knows the good because she's been known by the good and becomes pregnant with the good and through anguish and torment delivers the fruit of life, her bridegroom's life, which is also her own life. There are two ways of knowing. One results in death, and the other results in babies, babies, life, babies. Correct answer, Jason. When Eve and that first Adam were kicked out of the garden, they knew the good in the first way, but they could no longer find it. They'd killed it. They can't find the good, but the good will come and find them and know them in the second way. The good is their helper and your helper. 
Verse 14, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. No harlotry ever again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with, with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste, and all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea stood far off and cried out as, the smoke, as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads, and they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. In a single hour she's been laid waste. And all the buyers and sellers on earth mourn. In a single hour, what could that be referring to? I went through and counted at least nine times in the Gospel of John. Jesus refers to his crucifixion as his hour, the hour. Nine more times, John does the exact same thing. All eyes will look on the one whom they have pierced, and when they see him as he is, the principality of the harlot will be disarmed. disarmed. And, and, and the economy of Pornea utterly destroyed. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the, into the sea. She must have been teaching people her harlotry, saying, so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence. Uh, the destruction of Jerusalem was kind of violent. The death of Jesus on the cross was kind of violent. And, and we'll be found no more. And the sound of harpists and munitions of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth. And all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all all who have been slain on the earth. The blood of all who have been slain on the earth. How could that refer to anything other than the blood that is bled as our helper is crucified on the tree in the garden just outside of old Jerusalem? The life is in the blood and he bleeds for all. Blood that is wine. Wine that is blood. Understand? All the blood, all the life in the world is his. Even though we each claim it as our own, like a blood clot. 19.1, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. True and just, and they're shouting about salvation. True and just, and we just witnessed the double vengeance. 18.6, pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. 
Taking two eyes for one eye or two teeth for one tooth is strictly forbidden by the law because it's unjust. So what is this justice, this double vengeance? Repay her double for her deeds. Prepare, uh, the word can mean prepare, pour out, karunumi, prepare a double portion for her in the cup she prepared. Several years ago, I watched a movie that I felt bad about watching because at first it was rather pornographic. But as I watched it, it turned into something entirely different. The the movie was titled Original Sin. Maybe you've seen it. Antonio Banderas plays a wealthy Cuban plantation owner named Luis who sends away for an American mail-order bride named Julia Russell. On the passage across the Atlantic, a harlot in cahoots with a beastly thief learns of Julia's plans to marry Luis, disposes of Julia, and takes her place. The harlot's name is Bonnie Castle, played by Angelina Jolie. Well, Luis marries the woman that arrives on the boat, Uh, the very day that she gets off the boat, and he loves her with all of his heart. After several months, when her act is about to be exposed by circumstance, Bonnie, posing as Julia, plans to kill Luis and take all of his goods, all of his things. In this scene you're about to see, they sit at table. For her bridegroom, she has prepared a cup of coffee filled with poison. But she has just realized that he now knows. He knows that it was all an act and that she plans to take his life with a cup that she has just prepared. She also realizes that he could kill her. Like a play. All of it. Lies. From the moment I met you. Not all of it, no. Do you laugh on me, behind my back, the two of you? Do you laugh on me for how stupid I have been, how... how blind? No. Laugh now when I tell you this. I loved you, Julia. Julia is not here. Julia is dead. And laugh. And I tell you that I still love you. No. No, not me. You don't love me. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You. Not Julia Russell. Not Bonnie Castle. You. I love you as I know you. Because I know you. As you are, good and bad, better and worse. (laughs) I told you this already, but you didn't believe me. Tonight you will. To us. A short life, an exciting life. Don't do this.
from first to last. Start to finish. Don't change, Julia. Don't ever change. No, 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 no! It's just a silly movie. <laughs> but his sacrifice really does destroy the harlot. She no longer wants his goods. She wants him. Why? Because she just saw that he is the good. She sees that although she took his life, he had always given his life. She begins yelling, I love you, I love you, I, I love you. He recovers, and she becomes the bride that she is and they live out their days on the other side of the sea. I think that's kind of like the double vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But how does he repay? You know, some people think the cross means that he doesn't repay. Like God undid the word, like the word undid the word or something. But God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. How does he repay? We take his life, and he requires our life. He said, the day you eat of it, you will surely die. People get so offended that God would smite someone, but God smites everyone. We all die. And according to John, we're actually already dead. I think that's the first vengeance. God takes our life. Maybe you could call it the ministry of condemnation or the old covenant or the law. The soul that sins will surely die. That's the law. Jesus didn't come uh, to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. The law that sins will surely die. In this way, we all gain the knowledge of what? Evil. Our sin is evil and we die. So what's the double vengeance? We think, we think we own our life. We think we've created our life. We think we've earned our life when in fact we've stolen God's life. And God requires that life. So we must surrender the life so that we can watch God give the life and know that we didn't earn the life and forever be grateful for the life, for the life is the good. We must surrender the life that has already died so we can receive the life that is eternal. We must surrender the life we took so we can know the life that is given. God is the good and his word is life. God gives his life. That's his vengeance. It's actually infinite vengeance because he never stops. He is unstoppable, burning hot, absolute and relentless love. He is our helper. And when you see him in truth, you'll start screaming, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. 
the first vengeance is what we have earned, which is nothing. <laughs> and it reduces us to nothing. It's what human beings call justice. The second vengeance is what God has earned, and that is people in his own image that he has paid for with his body and blood. It's righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. In five more verses, we'll read that the righteousness, the righteous deeds, that they're given to the bride, and she puts them on like a garment. It's the new man. It's Jesus, and he is our helper. The first vengeance is the revelation of sin. Uh, the second vengeance is the glory of grace. The first is the destruction of the old man. The second is the revelation of the new. The first is the death of the beast. The second is the glory of God, which is man. The first is the destruction of the harlot. The second is the birth of the bride. The first is the revelation of I am not, and the second is who I am. His vengeance causes us to know the pain of evil and so hate evil. And his vengeance causes us to know the glory of the good and forever choose the good in freedom. Choose the good who is the life, who is our husband. The first and the second are not opposite things. They are the same thing. Grace. The vengeance of God is unstoppable, relentless, and infinite grace. God's judgment, which creates all things, makes us in the image of God. God who is absolute, unconditional, relentless, and entirely free. Love. I could only find four places in all of Scripture that spoke or prophesied double vengeance. Jeremiah 16, God's people will be brought back from Babylon and God says, I have repaid a first and a second time. And then he describes it as a double destruction. It's like I think the death of death, the second death, like killing us twice, the death of death, which, which is life. Zechariah 9, Zechariah prophesies a king coming to Jerusalem on a donkey and then he says this, return to your stronghold. Jerusalem, O prisoner of hope, today I declare that I will restore to you double. Then Zechariah goes on to prophesy basically everything that we've been reading in the Revelation. Isaiah 40, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. It has happened that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Isaiah 61.1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim claim the year of the Lord's favor, that's jubilee, and the day of vengeance of our God. Christ's death and resurrection is the beginning of the eternal jubilee, the Sabbath of Sabbaths, when all is forgiven and everything is free, and that is God's vengeance upon the economy of Pornea the whore. Verse 7. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting, infinite, eternal joy. God's vengeance is grace. 
that turns harlots into brides. We've run out of time and there's um, so much more to say, but let me end with this. In the words of Paul, you have not been given the ministry of condemnation, but you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You have been called and chosen to preach the gospel of grace through faith. So what does that look like? Well, uh, my old friend Tony Campolo used to tell this story that is probably most, mostly true. One night he found himself wide awake at 3.30 in the morning in downtown Honolulu. And not knowing what to do, he stumbled into this dingy uh, little diner. The fat guy behind the counter shoved a donut and a coffee in front of his face. And just about then, eight or nine rather attractive prostitutes uh, walked into the cafe. They, they sat near Tony. Their talk was loud, very crude. He was just about ready to leave when, when he overheard this. Tomorrow's my birthday. <laughs> I'll be 39. A second voice said, so what? So what? What do you want from me? What do you want? You think I'm going to get you a birthday cake and, and a Coke? You, you want me to sing happy birthday to you? The first one said, come on. Why do you have to be so mean? I was just telling you, that's all. I, d I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should you give me a birthday cake? I never had one my entire life. Tony waited until the women laughed, and then he asked the fat guy behind the counter, do they come in here every night? Yeah. How about the, the one that was right next to me? You mean, you mean Agnes? Agnes, why do, you, why do you want to know? It's her birthday tomorrow. What do you say we throw her a party? The fat guy behind the counter thought for a minute, and he smiled, and he said, well, that's great. I like Agnes. His name was Harry. He said, tell you what, I'll bring the cake and I'll spread the word. 2.30 a.m. the next night, Tony came back with, with decorations. He had purchased a big sign that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. At 3.15, it was wall-to-wall -wall hookers and Harry and Tony. At 3.30, Agnes arrived. They all screamed, Happy Birthday, Agnes! And then they all sang, Happy Birthday to you, Agnes. When Agnes saw the cake, she broke down weepy. Harry finally said, Agnes, cut the cake! We all want some cake! And, 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 and she said, Look, Harry, is it okay if I just look at it a while? Harry said, sure, Agnes. What the hell? You can take it home if you want to. She said, oh, can I? And then she looked at, at Tony and she said, I, I live r r real near here. I just, I just want to keep it. And then she walked out of the restaurant and everyone looked at, at Tony like, what do we do now? And being a pastor, he said, let's pray. And he, he prayed for Agnes. When he was done, Harry leaned over with a little hostility and said, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to? And Tony said, I uh, belong to, to a church that, that um, throws parties for hookers at 3.30 in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't. There's no church like that. Well, there is a church like that. It's the true church.
not the anti-church, not the imitation church. It's not the great harlot. It's the bride. It's the new Jerusalem. And she comes down to earth on the very spot that the harlot was destroyed. This is the cake. And Agnes is all around you. So the bridegroom took the bread and he broke it, saying, This is my body given to you. And in the same manner, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the covenant. And like we talked about last November, that's a marriage proposal. This is the covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. And now I, it's my duty to issue to you a warning. This is the judgment of God. And so if you take it in an unworthy manner, it really could kill you. An unworthy manner is to think that you could somehow pay. You cannot pay for this. <laughs> this is the infinite vengeance of our God. This is absolute mercy. If you came to this table this morning you just confirmed the covenant. If you didn't come to this table, you need to know that the covenant was made from the foundation of the world. <laughs> well, that means you kind of can't, can't ultimately break it. But if you just came to this table and confirmed the covenant, it means that with at least a mustard seed of faith, you believe that God loves you from the foundation of the earth and his love will never change, and so you are free to love him in freedom. <laughs> you're not a harlot, you're the bride. And now that's hard for us to believe. It's also almost impossible for us to endure the intimate communion that our God has planned for us in these old physical bodies. Uh, and so I hope every day that you just sit in his presence, that you spend some time just sitting in his presence. And when you do, his glory begins to reveal sin in you. And when his glory reveals sin in you, you will be tempted to start to pay. You'll start to say, oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do, I'm, I, stop. You cannot pay. You can only confess. So just tell him. God, you, you know my lust. You know how selfish I am. You know that there are people, millions of people, that live on less than a dollar a day, and all I can think about is how I don't have enough money. You know me. Just confess yourself to him. Don't run. And then notice that he has not run. <laughs> he has not destroyed you. And he is not a runaway. He, he, he's, still, he's still there. And he's always been there throwing a party for you just because you were born.
Just because in the beginning he breathed his breath into the dust and you are worth absolutely everything to him. And when you begin to see that he is always throwing a party for you, well then you will start to want to throw parties for others. And his will in heaven becomes his will on earth. We'll talk about that more next week. Sorry, this was too long. Next week I'll try to make it shorter. I, I do hope that you come next week uh, because teaching the revelation, seriously, I said this to someone this weekend, and I need you to hear this. It's like trying to teach calculus to people that show up to only one out of three classes. You know what I mean? And this is this amazing picture. And as you look at it, all the pieces begin to come together. And it's incredibly complex, and yet it's really all saying one thing, and that is that God is love and God loves you. Yahweh is salvation. In a word, Jesus is the revelation of Jesus. So, next week, the Broncos are playing the Ravens. Good stuff, okay? But you have a DVR. I know you have a DVR. So set your DVR and record the game. You can also get the game I found out on YouTube or something later, okay? So anyway, and come to church and invite, uh, invite your friends. And uh, I mean, and then on top of all that goodness, free nachos. So in the name of Jesus, believe the gospel. Amen.